0: Welcome everyone. I am Patrick Lushuan, and I am your host of Faculty Stories Tell Me Your Why. In this podcast, I ask faculty to share what drives their work, what they do, what they do. This question not only gives context to the human stories that drive our mission, it also provides its life and purpose. In Faculty Affairs, our own why is to create an environment where every faculty member is seen in their whole identity inundated with positive experiences throughout all stages of their career. This is why we shine a light on these extraordinary individuals. We complete each discussion by asking our guests for a piece of advice to share with the next generation of scholars. These unscripted conversations are as diverse and unique as each of the individuals, yet they have one thing in common, the passion that fuels the work of these educators, innovators, and public servants join me in following their stories. Well, hi, Stephen. Thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate your presence and uh, you accepting to share your story and your journey with our listeners. And uh, if you don't mind, I would invite you to introduce yourself, um, what position you hold at the university, since once you've been at OSU, and a little bit about your work.
1: Yeah, uh, sure. Mm. Thank you for the opportunity. So uh, my name is Stephen Quay, and I'm currently a professor um, at Ohio State in the Higher Education and Student Affairs Program, which is specifically in the College of Education and Human Ecology. Um, and I started at OSU four years ago. I came in as an associate professor. So I'm recently promoted as of last year to um, professor. The work that I do is primarily around this concept of racial battle fatigue. Um, That's my current work. Um, And what that essentially means is the racial battle fatigue describes simply put the exhaustion that people of color feel from repeated racism. Um, And I think it's easy to minimize it as it's just exhaustion that folks of color are just tired. But I think what's most important for people to understand about it is that Racial battle fatigue, it has these negative consequences on the psychological, physiological, and the emotional well-being of people of color. Um, so it actually is—it impacts our well-being and our health. Um, and so for me, I'm, I'm most interested in not just um, navigating or understanding what racial battle fatigue is. There's a lot of work that, that has already outlined what that is and the, the, the feelings that folks of color get from just navigating racism in our society. My work really centers on um, strategies that people of color can use, um, specifically those who are faculty and graduate students of color can use to heal from racial battle fatigue. Um, So knowing that this is a concept that's happening on our bodies, the question that I often ask in my work is what can we do to actually heal from racial battle fatigue that is more sustainable and is not just Um, temporary fixes. Um, So I'm really invested in that work in part because when folks of color are able to heal from racial battle fatigue, it means we're able to then devote that attention that we were then devoting towards um, navigating racism to more productive and life-giving activities, such as our teaching, our research, our work, our interactions with um, with our students, with, with our friends, our relationships, like all of those we're able to navigate more seamlessly because we've spent the time necessary to heal in a more sustainable and long-term way from racial battle fatigue. So that's essentially why I'm invested in that work, because it's taking time and attention away from being able to do those more life-giving activities that folks who are not navigating racial battle fatigue are able to do. So that really sums up um, the work that I do around racial battle fatigue.
0: Thank you for sharing that story and your work. Such an important work at any time, I would say more and more. Mm -hmm. Um, However, I feel a message of hope in the application you give to your work. Um, This is so uplifting and I so appreciate that you're devoting so much of your time to the healing part of, you know, that racial battle fatigue. So if you don't mind sharing with our listeners what um you've you've mentioned a little bit the why that motivates you, I can imagine, uh mm-hmm. you know, your own personal journey, but maybe you want to share a little bit how you came yeah. to discover that this was your path. And yeah. um maybe there are more ramifications to your why, deeper roots that you may want to share with us.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm happy to. So um so I I came across this this concept in in 2014. So for for context, for people listening, um, in 2014, I was an assistant professor at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. Um, So Miami University is a predominantly white institution, probably about 86 or 87% of the students at Miami are white. It's in a rural area in Southwestern Ohio. Um, And this context is important because in 2014, um, August nine 2014, is when um, Michael Brown shot and killed Darren Wilson um, in Ferguson, Missouri. Um, and it's probably one of the most impactful, um, impactful situations that happened to me personally. I, it, it, Michael Brown is certainly not the first person who was shot and killed by a police officer. And he certainly hasn't been the last since 2014, unfortunately. But yet Michael Brown's death had an impact on my um, on me in a way that I wasn't anticipating. August 9th, 2014 was six days um, before I was to submit my promotion and tenure materials at Miami University. So they were due August 15th. And I just remember I was working on my materials and I just had this, this overwhelming sense of like just grief and sadness and anger. And it was really hard for me to, to prioritize submitting my dossier and working on it. Like I was, I was revealing my materials, and all of it just felt so futile, um, in part because I thought to myself, I have the privilege of sitting in my office, sitting in my house, working on these materials, but yet this 14-year-old's life has been taken from him, and what opportunities like, would he have had if he had you know, 30, 40 more years of life to, to give to others and give to himself and give to the world? Um, and I just started reflecting on just what it meant to be in academia in this position of privilege to have this opportunity to, to submit my materials. And I was really struggling with, 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 um, with doing that. Um, and so I was because I was struggling so deeply, I ended up having some conversations with two of my closest colleagues, both of which are black women at Miami, Dominique Hill and Mahogany Shaw. Mahogany actually grew up really close to Ferguson, Missouri, And so she was also really impacted by Michael Brown's death as well. And we just started having conversations at a coffee shop, um, just talking, processing our feelings. Um, And that really helped me, move me out of my grief and and anger. Um, And at the time, coincidentally too, in trying to process my feelings and emotions, I came across this concept of racial battle fatigue. Um, And those listening, I think what's really important here is um, I think sometimes when we're really struggling with something and then we don't really know what it is, and then we finally have some language to name what we've been experiencing, it feels really, really powerful. It's very empowering. And so for me, I, I all of this grief, the anger, the lack of motivation, the hopelessness that I was feeling, I finally had had words for it. And so I just then started reading as much as I could about this concept of racial body fatigue to try to understand it more. Um, And so in processing that with my colleagues, Mahogany and Dominique, who are also two of my closest friends, um, we decided to form what we call the Mobilizing Anger Collective, um, which is a group of faculty, staff, students, um, and community members in the Oxford, Ohio community who met regularly to process and address issues of injustice on our campus and the surrounding community. And the the Mobilizing Anger Collective really gave me the space to mobilize, so it's it's appropriately named, to mobilize our anger into something more productive. Um, So anger is a very healthy and natural emotion, and I think anger is important. But for me personally, I couldn't stay in that place of anger. I had to transform that anger into something productive. Um, And so that the Mobilizing Anger Collective really gave me a space to really think through that, and it actually served as a healing space for me. And so this is where the healing part of my interest in racial battle fatigue comes into play, is because, because I was able to start processing my feelings of sadness and anger and frustration and hopelessness with two of my colleagues and friends, Mahogany and Dominique, and then, with this larger group of faculty, staff, and students in the mobilize, Mobilizing Anger Collective, I started to really see how having supportive people, having community, being very intentional about the healing process can really facilitate productivity and enable people of color to move through this racial battle fatigue. So, then that is the why. But then, because this was something that I was navigating personally, And I saw how it was impacting others beyond me, I wanted to understand it more systematically and how it's impacting other people. So it it started from myself and then it morphed into wanting to learn more about it among other people. And what I've learned over time is that healing is possible. Sometimes healing is not as sustainable as we would like it to be, because unfortunately racism is is endemic to our society. It's something that will that will continue to happen. But yet I do think in, in what I've learned from this research is that in community and in conversation with other people that healing is possible. And so I think that's, that to me is, 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 is my why is that it's then from really trying to make sense of Michael Brown's death, wanting his death to not be in vain and then wanting to um, figure out some more meaning and mattering around this promotion and tenure process And do work that I think was more meaningful and more powerful Um, and not just doing research for the sake of being promoted or for the sake of earning tenure, but really doing research that I thought would make a difference in the lives of real people, of namely um, people of color, both inside and outside of academia. And so that's really what motivated me to do this work.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your your story. I love the precision of your language and how you are able to share your emotions through the process and how you were able to also rationalize your own learning. Um, Mm -hmm. This is such an inspirational story to me. Um, I always, it made me think when you were initially identifying the, um, and and I will apologize if I make interpretations that are not appropriate, but do you know how you were surprised by your sense of grief? at least the way i understood at the very beginning and how that sense of grief became blocking to your own work meaning Mm -hmm. became incapacitating and and few people understand the power of grief how it can really affect the capacity of individuals to even perform the basic functions um oh yeah and i you know and I was thinking, although, and again, I will ask for you know for apologies for making um, links, but this isn't one way that I learn. Um, I try to project and you know the experience of others in what could that, uh, how could I understand this in my own terms, and um, basically the trauma that comes from disasters. In that you know, it really affects people in incredible ways. the difference here is that this disaster of that you speak about that affects people of color in a way that is so impactful um, is invisible to others right yes. the, the the impact of a hurricane or an earthquake is visible to everyone. yes, mm-hmm. right those that live it and those that don't live it because they have tangible impacts to every everyone that we were impacted whereas the grief that you speak about is very invisible to a number of people including myself and um the fact that you were able to share in such precise way how that affected you and how you decided to use that to feed your own research and make a difference is the inspiring piece mm-hmm. and and uh, I thank you. Or both sharing your work, but also deciding to become a leader, a thought leader, in uh, how to use that learning to actually um, help others to heal and become stronger uh, past the trauma.
1: Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Appreciate that.
0: So... My apologies for interfering a little bit here but your story <laughs> no, is so it's all good <laughs> compelling and um and uh congratulations to you and your colleagues um I, you know you have done quite a bit to support your community and I look forward to see all the things that you're going to continue doing with your work and um and you may have sp- spoken a little bit about this but for my last question um I know that you've you've mentioned you've helped some you know uh, graduate students in particular. What advice would you give to graduate students, all of them, mm-hmm. specifically those that you work in particular to help um, that are interested in academia? You spoke about the tenure process. You mm-hmm. you are saying you know to you you spoke how you're trying to make sense of it all, particularly from your perspective, being a minority. Being a minoritized uh, individual or individual for a minoritized group. um, What kind of um, uh, advice would you give to individuals who are interested in coming to academia? They may not see it as a place that will uh, uplift their whys and give them the opportunity to thrive.
1: Yeah, so... um... So I simply put, I'll just say the the, the simple advice and then I'll, I'll expand on it on it a bit. Um, but I think in the simplest words, my biggest advice is to just do the work that matters. Um, and so what I mean by that is I think one of the one of the challenges of of academia, I think especially for newer scholars or graduate students, is they they see sort of the the CVs or the publications of their faculty or, or, or peers who are further along in the process. And they get really, I think, sidetracked and motivated by the allure of, of long CVs or, or big grants or lots of publications. And I think that gets in the way of focusing on the work that matters. Um, and so for me, everything that I have done in my career in academia has been because I have, I have prioritized, I think, work that matters and not work that is going to either yield large grants or be heavily cited or in lots of publications. Um, and maybe, maybe that is sort of the, the, um, the effects of, of doing work that matters. If that's, if that's what happens of, of doing work that matters, I think that's great, but that's not the motivation. Um, so as an example, um, my career has spanned it. I've done sort of focused on maybe on three primary research areas, and they've all connected to to me, um, work that I think has mattered and has stemmed from from me personally. Um, So first, I was very interested in understanding how people can talk about and facilitate dialogues about difficult issues, things like privilege, power, oppression, racism, sexism, topics that are really hard to talk about because people are either worried about saying the wrong thing, offending somebody, just not having the, the, the knowledge to do that. And especially when we look at our our larger social context today, our political climate, um, there is a desperate need for this work to continue because folks really struggle with talking about issues with which they disagree with with members of society in productive ways. Um, And that stemmed from me personally as a am an immigrant who was born in Ghana. And so coming over to the United States, being in predominantly white areas, I rarely interacted with other Black folks growing up. Um, so I often had to put my put myself in positions where I was in, engaging with people um, who were different from me. So I, I often had to prioritize that. And so that's was sort of my first research area. It stemmed from me wanting to understand something personally that I was struggling with. Then I started to get involved in student activism. Um, so I mentioned this mobilizing anger collective um, as part of my research. And part of my reason for that was I saw the ways in which... Um, students with minoritized identities were often exhausting themselves to hold their institutions accountable for addressing racism and not not just being students, right? Like they were in college just to be students, but they felt they had to be activists because either their faculty or their staff were not doing the work of addressing racism, sexism, homophobia, et cetera, on their campuses. So that stemmed from something that I personally was navigating in this mobilizing anger collective. And then I mentioned sort of the racial battle fatigue, which again, stemmed from um, noticing that I was struggling personally with Michael Brown's death and wanting to learn more about that. And so I share those three sort of trajectories of where my research has gone and involved because they all started with something personally that I was wondering about and wanted to then extend to, to other people to look at how this is impacting others. And so for me, work that often matters is work that is deeply personal and deeply connected to who I am. And I think it's possible as grad students and newer scholars to do work that is deeply personal personal and and that it still yields um, a good career and still yields promotion, tenure, all those pieces if that's what you're invested or interested in. So that's a long-winded way of, of essentially just saying, to those listening, just focus on the work that matters. Don't get sidetracked by the allure, by the prestige, by the publications, by the... All those pieces that I think are are the re- rewards potentially of work that matters, but it's the work that ultimately matters that's, that I think is, is what drives um, scholars. And so for me, I think that's, it connects to my why, connects to who I am. And when you do the work that matters, like others will notice. And even if they don't, you know that it's important. And I think that's what is really important in life.
0: Again, the precision of your language always impresses me. You have a way to be able to weave that whole story and make so much sense to it. Uh, Really, really appreciate you highlighting the importance of the work that uh, we engage in. It is, you know, academia is a space where you have the opportunity to do that we often you know forget to tell that story and others may may not see it especially rising scholars and i love how you juxtapose you know the work that matters versus the allure of a long cv meaning this is you know all of the results of a long career or an established career however For the most part, a lot of people who have a long CV have started from the work that matters, at least to them. And, um, and I love that you simplify it back to that message is, you know, I call it the grand adventure of the mind is, you know, the work that matters both to you, but also even more so when it matters to society, to others, and you're really addressing issues Mm -hmm. that have significance. And, uh, and you do that so beautifully in all the three uh, dimensions that you shared, the evolution of your work across those three areas, uh, you continue to do work that matters a great deal. So thank you. Thank you for doing the work. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being at
1: OSU and definitely for sharing your journey and your story. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was was good to, to reflect and talk a little bit about it. So I appreciate the opportunity.
0: I know that, um, you know, our conversation and listening to you is going to be inspirational to quite a few people. So again, thank you for being here and um, I look forward to see you on campus soon. The Faculty Stories Tell Me Your Why podcast is produced by The Ohio State University's Office of Faculty Affairs. For more information, visit us at faculty.osu.edu. I'm your host, Patrick Lushwine. Thanks for listening, and join us again soon.